This is the Empowered Educational Conversations with Elena Christina podcast. We are two educators who have worked in over seven different school districts and want to see change. We are here for our school leaders who have the desire to implement radical changes to fight the destructive nature of racism and injustice. This is a safe space for passionate school leaders and aspiring school leaders to listen in as we voice our concerns, laugh at our mistakes, and strategize ways to overcome adversity as educators, all while keeping it real. Join us as we share our experience along with other important voices in the field. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Aline and Christina, where we seek to build community and support one another in this work. While you're there, share this with a friend and colleague and rate and review this podcast so we could get this to even more school leaders who want to do this work. All right, let's get to this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Educational Conversations podcast with Aline and Christina, episode 57. I'm Aline, co-host of this podcast. I've been in education for 17 years as a former school counselor and high school assistant principal. I currently coach K-12 school leaders in revolutionizing the K-12 public school system. And I'm Christina, the other co-host of this podcast. This is my 18th year in education. I was a former high school English teacher and K-12 site admin. I'm currently a teacher coach at a K-12 school district and a K-12 co-school leadership coach with my OMI and business partner, Aline, right here in San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, y'all. Before we get into this new episode, let's do our check-in. So, Christina, how have you been? Well, I've been, I think I've been okay. But as you can hear from my voice, I, <laughs> it's it's a little bit off. Um, I do not have COVID. Just want to put that out there. Um, basically, what had happened was I went to a two-year-old birthday party and it was really cold outside and really windy. And I, I mean, yeah, we were just having a lot of fun, but I had to like shout for mm-hmm. people. Like everyone had to like shout in order for people to hear them. Um, and so, yeah, I've just lost my voice for like over a week now. But besides that, um, we're recording this the day after um, Easter Sunday. And so I just had a, you know, before we logged into this um, podcast recording, I I was telling Aline how much I had so much fun with my family. And um, it was my son's very first Mm. Easter egg hunt. And it was my dad's first American brunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my dad was, I mean, he, yes. Let me just put it there. Um, Just some contextual information. My dad is hella Filipino. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, his breakfast consists, you got to have rice. Some sort, some type of excuse me, some type of rice and salog, which means egg, with some type of meat. And so, when we went to this brunch, um, my dad was introduced to crepes and a bread um salad, which was hella good. I loved it. I loved the whole brunch concept. But yeah, my dad, it was funny just watching him, um, watching his facial expressions and yeah. But That's despite cute. that, it was hella fun. And we were all watching the game, uh, the Warriors game mm-hmm. together. And that was a really good Warriors game. Well, I like watching Warriors games when they're hella winning. Um, so yeah, it, it was really fun. But how are you doing, Elaine? Uh, same. I mean, I... I doing well yesterday we had a very you know intimate um 
Easter dinner. We didn't do brunch, <laughs> but it was like an all day affair in some ways where, you know, we were just chilling, like getting the food ready. I mean, I did all the cooking, but, you know, people were hanging out and, um, you know, the, the weather was really nice out here in the Bay Area yesterday. So got to be outside a lot more. We did the Easter egg hunt earlier in the day. It's just nice to kind of like, you know, spend time and do something out of the ordinary, you know, have a holiday. Um, I will say it is tiring though. So I am feeling a little just slow energy this morning. Um, but what Monday doesn't feel that way. So, <laughs> so yeah, but other than that, I mean, it's just, it's been good, you know, aside from all the madness in the world, focusing in on what we can control and enjoying those moments is extremely important. So I got to enjoy those moments yesterday for sure. But um, this episode is going to be our a replay from an Instagram live that we held a, a while ago, I feel like, but we found it to be really like insightful and helpful when it comes to thinking about building an equity, like a, a master schedule, but kind of flipping it and saying like, well, this is what an equity focused master schedule doesn't look like so that it might help the listener wrap their head around like oh that's what ours looks like so to think then okay so then what does an actual equity focused master, master schedule look like then so that is um, to make it a podcast episode so that more people could listen to it take their time with it and um, take notes so hopefully you enjoyed this episode and if you haven't listened to our last episode please do go back and listen to our reflection and us unpacking our learning from the National School Counselor Leadership Conference. Um, still think a lot about it, so go check that out. But here, hopefully you enjoy our IG Live replay. Let's jump into this episode. Hey, y'all. How are you? Hopefully you're having a great day. Thursday. Um, I'm going to give a few more seconds for Christina to get here, but today we're going to be talking about what an equity-focused master schedule does not look like. So let's see here. Oh, there she goes. So she'll get here soon. All right, let's Except, I don't know why IG Live is forever messing with us. Like every single time we try to go live, it gives us some sort of issue. Try it again. Hey, Christina, I'm trying to to add you, um, and it's not. I'm not sure what's going on right now. Oh, no request to join, so maybe she'll come back. Oh, it says Christina is unable to join. Okay, give her a few more seconds. Okay, there we go again. Let's try again. I don't know why it does this to us every time. I'm oh, there she goes. Here. Oh, it worked. <laughs> hey, Christina. I was just saying how I feel like Instagram is oh, always yes. messing with us. I, I wonder if it's my internet. Maybe. Well, here we are. Today, we are going to be talking about what a master, an equity-focused master schedule does not look like. And so in our last um, IG Live, which I feel was a, a minute ago, um, we talked about like why your um, master schedule should be one of the top priorities for your admin team and how it does take a lot of time to build when you are 
doing it in a intentional, um, inclusive, um, and using an equitable lens. Um, and so with this live, we're going to describe what a master schedule um, could look like if you're not prioritizing it or if you're not trying to build it with an equity lens. Um, and so basically what an equity focused master schedule does not look like. Because I feel like that might actually help people wrap their heads around what we say is an equity focused master schedule. Because if you're while you listen to these different, um, you know, different points of what, you know, is like, I guess, uh, anti equity or like not being equity focused um, process. You might say like, huh, we do that. So I wonder, like, so at that point, you might start make, connecting the dots and saying like, well, what can I do to make it more equity focused? So Christina, do you want to take us on to our first point or first yes. example, we should say? So admin action number one, that is not equity focused in terms of the master schedule is simply rolling over the master schedule so in other words like if it's like right now we're on the 2022-2023 academic school year master schedule and mm -hmm. on synergy or aries or whatever database you guys use to house your master schedule you just press the button to say copy and then and then you make it live right. that is like that's rolling that's basically rolling it over so you have the exact same teachers teaching the exact same line number of courses as if everything is identical right so we need mm -hmm. to remember y'all a master schedule should be based on the needs of our current students from year to year okay because we need to remember from year to year your student count per grade level is different right i mean the most obvious one is and we're particularly talking about secondary or high school in this case is that obviously like you have a whole class leaving right you you have the seniors that are leaving and then and you have a whole freshman class coming in but then the grade, even the grades in between, it's like what, what a student may say is their grade level. We also need to consider the, the number of units too, right? So it's like there's just so many pieces about the student count per grade level. And then of course, right, mm -hmm. the whole students meeting graduation requirements. I mean, that's that's just like an ongoing thing. I mean, it, it, I won't even say it's like a once a year thing. That thing is just constantly ongoing, especially since now it's the students have more options, right? To make up credit, to make up credits throughout the year, um, right? It's, or not even make up credits, even like to accumulate more credits. It's like they got, they can take courses online. They can do dual enrollment. Right, it, it's not just waiting for summer school. This is, it's, it's just all throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So just like how the graduation requirements, how it, it changes, let's say marking period to marking period or even semester to semester, same with the A through G requirements, right? Like where? Or college oh, requirements yes. for those who are not right. in The college yet. entrance requirements, mm -hmm. like that, that once again, that changes from semester to semester or uh, marking period. Right. With each group of student, right, Christina? Because if you're talking about rolling over, you're assuming that the kids mm -hmm. from this year mm -hmm. need the same things as the kids or have next the same year. So that's where it's not being. Last year, right. And then right. like, you know, right. just the list goes on but like the the top ones that come to my mind is like you know the number of students who need math support the number of students who need credit recovery the number of students who need el support or need to be exited um number of students who re receive mm -hmm. sped support right so 
you know, there's many things here where you're just like, it's not the same. It's not going to be, it's, it can't be as easy as a copy and paste from year to year. And so, of course, there are other things to consider is what, like, the logistical piece. Like, we all know the budget changes from year to year. And when the budget changes, it can it affects the programs and the amount of sections, the amount of teachers, the amount of student options, right? And we all know what gets hit first, right, are like the elective courses um, and sometimes specific mm -hmm. programs. So look, when we roll over the master schedule, we are we are not doing what is best for our students staff and for the overall community. We are doing a disservice to our school community. And the ones most affected will be our Black, Indigenous, and students of color. So here are some possible solutions and recommendations. To pre prevent you from being even considering rolling over the master's schedule, uh, you know, one way of doing it is just, I know it's easier said than done, but don't wait until mid-semester to start gathering and planning. This is a year-long process. And sometimes we we feel like we just need to start in January. And it's, you know, a lot of the times it's because the district administrators um, usually send that out like their calendar right like during that time or like in November or December so you're like ah according to their calendar it looks like it starts in January so I could get to start in January and so we'll talk more about that in our workshop okay we'll talk more about that of the district calendar versus a site level calendar um, another solution is to identify your MST team, like who is on your master schedule team. And once you identify those team members, identify the roles and responsibilities. Do not make any assumptions that everyone knows exactly what they're supposed to do, okay? And what exactly they're in charge of. Um, and then lastly, I put here, you know, like use the district master calendar, which we will discuss more about to help build your school site master calendar. Um, and, you know, for former teachers out there who are now school leaders, like think of the master calendar or, or the MST calendar. Think of it as your pacing guide, right? Your, your, back, your whole backwards planning. thing is, like, it still surprises me how many schools decide to just roll over their master schedule from year to year. And because it still happens. I mean, I think we heard someone talk, like one of the district administrators we talked to say that, you know, one of their schools still does that. Like they roll over their master schedule. And to me, that just feels like it's really just checking the box. You know what I mean? Like just trying to get it done. And in that school particularly, like the question lies like, well, when you come back from the summer, like how much cleanup do the counselors have to do? And what are the counselors saying are some areas, like some gaps that they're seeing when trying to move schedules around or schedule new students in? And if that's not happening, like they're not gonna know the issues that come up with their master schedule year in and year out. It's just simply like, oh, I checked the box because I got it done. Cause like, oh, it seems easy. I could just roll it over. And so if we're really trying to center the educational experience of our black and brown students, we have to start being a little bit more intentional with planning out these huge foundational pieces in our school systems. And the master schedule is one. And I know we talk about like high schools because that's where a lot of like it gets I guess the stakes are higher because of the graduation requirements and college entrance requirements and plus because to be honest you and I mostly built high school mm -hmm. master schedules um, and it's just a little bit more intricate and involved than uh, elementary school or middle school but a lot of these questions can still apply to the lower levels because you're still thinking about the experience that your students go through on a daily basis 
when they're, you know, walking to each class or how teachers are assigned or where the classrooms are located, like all these little things that we tend to disregard or think that they're just like minor details when in reality it could really shape the, um, the overall experience for our students and our staff. If we take the time to really impact them with a team and look at data to inform decisions that we're making when it comes to building a master schedule. So I just wanted to add that because I'm, like I said, I'm still surprised that schools decide to roll over their master yeah. schedule. Yeah. And the thing is, what's crazy about it is that the people at the district office know it. It, mm -hmm. it was like, it's not yeah. a secret. I mean, there's no way you could hide it. But then the thing is, it's like they know it and they're not hiding it either. And so there, there's that piece. And, you know, there's one particular school district or school site we spoke to that admitted that they did it. And, you know, at first I was just assuming like best intentions, I guess, like, oh, it, it's because we came out of COVID and I understand you need to, you know, this year we're, it would be great if we could thrive, but right now we're just trying to survive mentality. But then it turned out that they were even doing this prior to COVID. So I was like, oh, dang, okay. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. When it's like, that's like the standard practice, it goes back to this like thought of like, oh, but we've always done it this way. That's what it reminds me of. It's like, oh, but we've always done it this way. And that's where we get really stuck in these traps of not moving forward and not really discovering, or I don't want to say discovering, but actually doing something about the issues that we know we're facing in our schools. So anyways, rolling over is just like a big issue for me because I feel like even when I was an admin, I had a supervisor that wanted me to just roll over the master schedule. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I do like to treat every single school year differently because our students change and so and our staff changes so it's like we got to start over i mean there's probably some things that you could duplicate but not roll uh, over the entire master schedule from the year before so okay the second thing that me like that you know a, an equity focused master schedule does not look like is using inconsistent data sets to guide your decision-making process. And so when I say that, like the thing that comes up is this, I like it's gatekeeping, right? It's thinking through your systems around placement, your systems around, you know, your class sizes, all of these, um, all of these decisions should be based on data and very mm -hmm. specific sets of data. We're not talking about like, qualitative data or, um, you know, data that like, uh, what's it called? Um, anecdotes, right? <laughs> we're not, we're not talking about that. So when I'm saying like, when I'm talking about this inconsistent or unreliable data, I'm thinking about like grades, like using grades to inform placement for students in certain areas like an AP class or a math class or even a science class because this comes up a lot so like especially like when we talk because grading is all like it's it, there's a big discussion around grading right now um there are some schools that are piloting you know grading for equity and even within that there is still some disagreement and there are departments mm -hmm. doing it differently so with that, like using grades is an inconsistent or unreliable data set because it's not all aligned. So, you know, if a student gets a, a, a B in one chemistry class, but another student in a different chemistry class has an A and you prioritize a student with an A, I mean, it's not, they're not the same teacher. And so you can't rely on the grades being exactly the same unless there's been a larger discussion and things are aligned but even so grades really shouldn't be used to inform your placement right, right. Of I mean, decisions or really i'm going back to that whole chemistry example right it's like even within like horizontally or horizontally or vertically like it's not aligned right because you could have like your um 
chemistry, your, your two, three chemistry teachers, right? Where the, the, the grade breakdown is all different, right? Where it's like you have mm -hmm. one teacher where assessment or summative assessment is 50%. And then the other one, the other, your partner is uh, summative assessments 15%. And I'm not, and I'm using those numbers, like, because I've, I've seen, right, I, I've seen, um, what do you call those things that we, that we would ask teachers to submit at the beginning of the school year? Yeah. That's you know, course. like, that's, like, one of the things that, that was one of my roles and responsibilities is just collecting everyone's syllabus and, like, looking, I mean, I, you know, there's always the shoulda, coulda, woulda, but. Like one of the things that I just made sure that I did was that at least that there was consistency within a department when it came to grade breakdown. But it's like, but that is just a tough decision. But I mean, basically right. like grades are subjective. And so I just, so when we're talking about building an equity focused master schedule, you really need to look at what the policies and procedures are when it comes mm -hmm. to, to course placement. And using something like grades is not consistent and it's not reliable. And so that's where, you know, that would be something that we would say not to use if you're informing placement. Another thing is teacher recommendations. Like I, I, this is like a big one for me just because I was a counselor for so many years before being an administrator, but like teacher recommendations are subjective again. Like they're not like often, the things that I've heard from teachers about what a student should or shouldn't take and why they're saying those things are, are just the de definition of really being deficit focused mm -hmm. and not thinking of students as a whole. And so, and per, the students that I, you know, the conversations that I had primarily centered around are students of color and whether or not they were ready to take an AP class or whether or not they would do well in an advanced science course at this school, right? And so that's where teacher recommendations should not be a part of your master schedule placement process because that is not really taking into account the whole child. And also really, again, it's not, setting up access for students to take courses that they're interested in and to support them in those courses so that they can be successful in them. And so whether it be a list that the department or the teacher submits to admin or a half sheet on a programming sheet that the counselor has to sign off on to make sure that there are specific you know, prerequisites um, all of that would be something that we would see in a master scheduling process that is not equity focused. The other thing that, I mean, it happens a lot in schools that are very much like, I don't know how to define it, but just high stress and like, you know, high, um, yeah, right, Kayla, your teacher recs don't necessarily help and some teachers can be subjective. And so we have to think about like what are other ways that teachers and departments can provide feedback in building the master schedule, but removing their feelings around a student's, you know, preparedness or their student's, um, you know, ability to succeed in the class that based on their, their expectations or what they deem as standards to meet, right? So the other thing is automatic placement based on parent requests or demands and so again I've seen this and like really um I, don't, I hate saying this but like schools like high achieving schools right or the schools with these high test scores but oftentimes you're seeing their them skew to oh thanks Kayla I see this um conversation conversation skew towards like stu um, parents and families that have privilege and that know or not know that feel like they can just call up the assistant principal and say, I see that my student didn't get placed into AP chemistry. And this is something that we've discussed. And so you need to place them in AP chemistry and not having a policy to come back to, to explain 
reason why a student isn't just directly placed because the parent wants them to. And this is something that we that I ran into in a former school that I worked at just recently, where we would get a lot of those parent demands. They weren't even like conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just say it. They were demands that their expectations were that their kid was going to take the five AP courses because that's what's going to get them into Harvard. And we are in the school site. We're trying to figure out how are we going to diversify these AP courses with only one section and make sure that we're supporting our black and brown students who want to take AP chemistry, that they get a shot at taking the course. And so with, with that conversation meant we built a policy around it and clearly outlined how we place students. And if they were put on a waiting list, what our process was to place students from the waiting list. So that it was not just because that parent called the superintendent 10 times. And it was easy to back up because we had a very transparent system and it was based on our vision around the classes our students take and the outcome that we expect for them once they graduate from us. So it's, again, if you are just placing based off of parent demand because it's easier and you don't want to deal with the, with the headache, that itself is not an equity-focused master schedule procedure or protocol. So just think about that if your school happens to be doing that. Um, so when we think of best, best practices around this, we like to think about whether, depend, de regardless of the course, whether it's an advanced, an AP course, honors, or a support course, that is best to synthesize at least three data sets, reliable data sets. So your state data, whether it's you know state testing or whatever, um, state level data, your district data, maybe there are some um, district agreed upon um, assessments that are used in certain areas, so pulling from that data. And then um, any common formative or summative assessments that were graded with a rubric and like a common rubric and same unit outcomes, meaning that there's been some alignment within a department, there's been work in a PLC, and there has been an agreement to use this data to discuss maybe um, English placement, like whether or not it's English support placement, because it's been reviewed, it's been discussed, it's been assessed, it's been, you know, really, um, like there's been a cycle of inquiry around what this cognitive assessment says about the student's readiness for certain levels of courses. So using using very reliable um, sources of data. And the other data is street data. And I, I, that's something that you all will hear about if you listen to our podcast um, later on. But we you know, talked about street data with the author and having, you know, getting information from students as far as like what works for them when it comes to picking courses, how it works for them, when courses are placed, like, you know, having math before after lunch like just having those conversations and building that into the timeline so that you include their voice in the process beyond just filling out their course request sheet and so an example of that and i've seen this work in different ways at different schools one example that i will put out there is just reaching out to students based on the data set criteria so if you're looking at specific you know the state data the district data or even if you're looking at um, AP data, like AP enrollment data, and you realize that, hmm, this course in the 11th, U AP US history does not reflect the demographics of our school. Instead of just placing students in there or just saying, oh, maybe they don't wanna take it. They, meaning like our students of color, they don't wanna take it. Really having a system where you make it a standard practice for all students to access information about AP courses. So having ses informative sessions about what AP courses are, either during lunchtime or through a video platform. Um, having counselors reach out to students, um, maybe do some focus groups around like why students aren't picking these courses, because that was very helpful at my last school site when we did a very intentional you know, focus group around why our Latinx students were not signing up for AP US history um, and understanding from their perspective why it was really uncomfortable for them to sign up or even stay in the course because we were able to get some to sign up. But then um, come fall time, they were requesting to be taken out. 
Um, and that is an example of street data, right? You have to ask those very important and thoughtful and intentional questions of your students to understand because the, the, the other data that I mentioned is very quantitative, right? It's gonna tell you the numbers. It's, it, you could try to form a story, but with the street data, you're then able to really get that full picture of what the data is telling you about placement for students and where you could push them, right? Because we're not just talking about like, oh, we need to like keep students isolated in these, you know, standalone support classes, but how do we also push our students in, a, in the direction of, you know, accelerating the rigor so those that's just like the second thing right that the, all of that i said like using unrelatable data, data sets or not using any data at all is a um is an example of what a mass an, an, an equity focused master schedule does not yeah and, like. and just to like speak on a few of those things that you mentioned that you talked about is like you know i think like when we talk about you know data and like unreliable versus reliable what we're really talking about is just consistency right is like assessments that are used school-wide right it would be nice if it's district-wide that right. way there's consistency without the throughout the district but you know let's start at our school site um and you know i i when i was in charge of like ilt um, instructional leadership teams, which is predominantly like the school that teacher leaders, department chairs, you know, a lot of the times they're like, well, I don't want to use the state data. Like, I don't like, I don't like, like, I understand that that's what we're right. supposed to, you know, that's what we as a school or community, we're, that's what we're graded on. Um, but I just feel like, I feel like the data is unreliable or I feel like it's biased. So usually my response to that was like, I like, okay, that's fine. But then created an assessment. <laughs> you know, like what the whole, but not, consistency. not only that, Christina, it's like, you're not, you're not, right. it's not just using three one though. Three. We're saying you three to <laughs> identify, like if like the state data, the like the state test, and I mean, of course, the tests could be, Absolutely. there are biases, right? There's a lot of biases that we need to unpack and discuss about these state level tests or, or SAT or any of these tests, 100%. But if you're going to at least, you know, measure them against each other and say, based on the state data, the student did this in math. But in our department, like this assessment that we all give because the district purchased this license and we all give it the same way, it says this about the student. And then our department also has this summary right. of assessment that we created and that we analyzed. And we're noticing that this student across all three lines should actually be in AP calculus, but they signed yeah. up for math. And, and I'm glad that's, that's when you can, you can like evaluate right. and put them against and, each and other to try to fill the gaps. Not my, my second to the last school. That's what, that was actually a district-wide policy for for ad specifically for us. So anytime we did placement, whether it's in an advanced course or a support course, we had to use three sets of data: one from the state, one from the district. Actually, you had a choice. It could be one from the state, two from the district, or it could be one from the state, one from the district. And then one, if your if your department had like a um, a department wide assessment, right? It, it it just simply can't be like, oh, this is what I created in my classroom, and that and that's it. Right. So, so there's right. there's that piece, and then also you know going back to to the example that you pointed out about the the AP. Um, you know, placing students in AP ba based on the data set criteria, uh, you know, just to like expand on that even more is like, and, and to tackle that on to a street data example is like, you know, I've seen it where um, like we have the, we have the breakdown, right? We, we, do our three points of data and we already identified like okay these are all the 11th graders that could qualify for english lang right 
and you you host your lunch sessions, you host your parent nights for that particular class. And then it's time for um, it, it's time to do the, the 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 course selection. And then I've seen counselors match it where they're just like, okay, these are the students who applied for the program, the AP Lang class, and these are the ones that didn't but yet they do qualify for it. So what do the counselors do? They, they pull in the students, they get the street data and they tell the students like, mm -hmm. hey, just to let you know, like you qualify for this class. And a lot of the times it's the black and brown students who one, they don't even realize that they qualify for the class. Like they're just like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Or two, they may know it, but they're for some reason or another they don't want to they don't want to be a part of the class and so that's when the counselors right that's when they do their thing and they 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 inquire about it like okay tell me why like what what happened like you know whatever it may be maybe their friends aren't in it or they they're just like you know i don't really see people like that look like me in the class or i don't know like i'm just like whatever whatever the 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 reason is but that's where you pull that that street that yeah. street data and you know just like filtering mm -hmm. it to where you do need to like pull street data to um to to humanize it <laughs> it's like students students and right because if not because if not right. we're going to be operating based off of assumptions and i think that's where we like that's where the trouble happens is we're assuming why, you know, our students of color are not taking AP U.S. History or AP Lang instead of actually taking the extra step of pulling straight data through focus groups or one-on-one -on -one conversations or even, you know, conversations with the departments of what they've seen over the years. So, yeah. What are, what's, what's, what's one more thing, Christina, our last, okay. our last one? That so we, we already mentioned out. this word earlier today, I mean, earlier today, um, like 20 minutes ago, as well as our last one, our, our last live. So, but y'all, we feel the need that we need to say it again for the people in the back. Okay, we got to say it again, because this consistently and constantly happens. It's gatekeeping. Okay. And specifically, the examples of gatekeeping is when veteran teachers are the ones that are teaching the higher higher level grades, um, AP classes or or honors classes or accelerated classes, whatever whatever you call it at your school site. The same old systems that keep white and selected Asian groups as the the majority of the students who mainly populate the AP and advanced courses, okay? Um, or even like the ones that are mainly, um, in, that mainly enroll within the support classes, right? It's like you just keep that system going over and over and over and over again, okay? The EL, I hate this term, but it's used, the, the EL lifers. Right, long term, our long term, right? It's like okay, what are like okay by the state specifically in California, right? There, there are specific parameters of placing them in EL and also taking them out, right? Like they they tell you exactly what data to use, but the thing is, it's like there's more to okay. What's the in between, right? Like what are <laughs> Like, let's talk about instructional practices or like talking to the students, informing them, teaching them how to assess. Like, there, there's all those in-between pieces there. And then also like the math enrollment. As we said before in the last live, math courses. And now really like, I feel like even science too. No, let's back it up. Because now that we transition specifically in California, transition to common core because of that common core literacy is imperative 
literacy is imperative, especially in math and science courses. Like the math books and the science books do not look the same from when we were in high school. Like I opened up a Eureka math book the other day. I barely saw any numbers, y'all. It was like a whole bunch of word problems. So there's an issue if the students um, have uh, are not reading or writing at, at the grade level. So those are just the many examples <laughs> of, of gatekeeping, um, which Alina and I could go on and on and on about. So moving on to solutions, okay? So once again, a lot of these solutions, y'all, like we brought up three problems, but like, if you notice the solutions are very, there's not a whole list of solutions. Like they, they come up a lot, which is a good thing, right? So once again, a solution would be gather data. Gather the data to help name and identify the common issues. Identify and reflect on the process that places students in these classes, whether they're support or, or, or higher, um, higher level classes. Um, identify and reflect on the lack of processes that keeps the students in these classes, mm -hmm. right? It's like, sometimes we have good processes to get to put them in there, but it's like, okay, what are we going to do to get them out of there, specifically the support classes? And then make mm -hmm. some changes. Make some changes, the, the much-needed changes, Reflect on your school's vision, mission, and values, and use that data to guide your revolutionary next steps. Like, just embrace, like, have a different mindset. It, embrace, see discomfort, see challenge as, as a positive, as a positive outlook, not, not something to fear. Well, and that's the thing, Christina, it's like when I think about this concept of rolling over, I feel like I feel like that's like based in fear or mm -hmm. based in like rushing things as opposed to taking time. And so with all of this, like notice that we're not specifically talking about like putting mm -hmm. the pieces on the board. Like there's a lot that comes that that leads you up to actually placing sections on that board, either physically in you know, the principal's office or digitally on a spreadsheet like that we could we could talk about it and help you put your sections and like run through set like conflicts what we're talking about is like the actual process the foundation like where you start and how you map this out so that you are focusing and centering your students experiences so that you're really focused on equity in your master schedule so mapping out this entire process, understanding who your team is, understanding the data sets that you're going to use, plot like plotting, like planning and plopping down those meetings in the calendar ahead of time, not waiting to January to start talking about, about section allocation, to really you know prepare yourself and make this a year-round thing versus a, a spring semester um, task. Um, and so that's where you know, hopefully this gave you some insight on like what an equity focused master schedule does not look like. So you can ask yourself and call out what's happening at your school site. If you, you know, were nodding your head at a couple of things and that, that they sounded familiar because you do them to say like, okay, the solutions sounded more equity focused. Like how do we shift it even if we've already started our process? And so our call to action for all of you on this call, and something that we never, we don't do good enough, Christina, is introduce ourselves. So I'm Aline. I'm a former school counselor and um, former um, assistant principal, and I now coach school leaders, um, mostly in California, but are open to other states as well. And um, we're really looking at equity as the main focus in leadership decisions. So that's who I am, Christina. You want to just quickly say who you are before yes, I wrap up the, with the call to action? Former high school English teacher, former um, admin, VP, AP principal, um, and now I am currently um, a site. Uh,
I was going to say site level coach. I'm currently a district coach. And then I also um, coach school leaders with my fellow partner, Aline. So our call to action to you is if, if we have a few things. The first one is that we have a free workshop coming up next Thursday on March 23rd. We'll be hosting it at 4.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That might be difficult for some of you school leaders, but maybe you're on campus and you decide to stick around for the workshop. We'll also offer a recorded, um, the recorded version for up to a week after the session ends. Um, but that session is going to be the top three things you need to do before you start building your master schedule. And the reason why I say building, because again, all the things that we want you to do before you start placing those chips or those sections on the board. So the top three things, we're going we're gonna to walk you through the questions, like what type of questions or feedback that you should get from your community, whether it be from teachers, from parents, or from, from um, you know, your community members or your, your students, looking at that street data and aligning it with the other static, um, reliable data. Really interrogating your timeline and seeing how it's built out and what's included in that timeline. And... Um, auditing, like the data collection and analysis, like how are you act, uh, how, how are you auditing and analyzing the data that you're using, and what are the questions and systems that you do um, that you set up for that. So, if you're interested in the workshop, it is free. The sign up is in the link in our bio. Um, if you just put in your information there, you'll get the information for the workshop that'll be happening next Thursday, starting at 4:30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The last thing I wanted, well. That's two things. Um, is if you are if you want to work with us, we offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, very specific and tailored and personalized to your own goals. Um, and so, if that's something that you are a current school leader and you want that extra support, um, that is something that we can offer and would love to offer you. So, if that is something you're interested in, please DM us or schedule a call. That link is also in our bio, where we can talk to you a little bit more and see you know how we can support you. Last thing is that we do have a podcast. So the Empowered Educational Conversations with Alina Christina. So if you vibed with this conversation, you know, we do a lot of these types of conversations on our podcast and we invite guests in and really amplify the voices that we feel aren't often heard in our educational world. So um, wherever you listen to podcasts, access that. And um, we hope you join us on this journey. So thanks, Christina. And take care, everyone. Thanks for being here with us. Bye. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Alina Christina. Check out our content and engage in a conversation with us through the comments or DMs. Also, please help us grow and share this with your friends, colleagues, as well as post on your social media. We look forward to next time. Take it easy.